Okay, it's uh, again, it's been three weeks since we uh, went through the last portion of this study in the Genesis flood. And uh, I've tried to in, uh, emphasize that what we're talking about is a true event. And this is intended to be a faith building study. Um, and, you know, if you haven't been here with us, we're doing things, you know, somewhat different on Sunday evenings. Uh, and we're certainly going through a Bible study, but at the same time, we're using a lot of slides and everything in this particular section of our study to uh, talk about the Genesis flood. And again, the fact that it is, it, that it is not only just a story in the Bible, but when we read the Bible, everything we read is true. And so it really did happen just as it is laid out in the scriptures. Uh, you might... You might look at Genesis chapter 6, just maybe if you want to follow along. In a few moments, I will probably be reading some verses of Scripture from that particular chapter. Uh, but I want us to go ahead and, and start going through the slides right now, just establish the perspective again. The purpose of this study, again, it's been three weeks since we've been in this, so I just want to emphasize, and somebody who may not have been in it already, uh, help you understand too what the purpose of this is. The purpose of this study is to assure the Bible student that all of the details of the flood in the Genesis account in Noah's day are reasonable and believable and they are absolutely accurate. And so I showed some pictures of the ark that has been built and an exact detail, detailed to scale uh, replica of the ark. And so we're not talking about just a facsimile. <coughs> we're not talking about um, maybe 50 to 1 or something as far as the scale is concerned. We're talking about the exact scale as laid out in Genesis has been duplicated uh, and it sits in Kentucky. And you can go through it. You can tour it. A number of us have done that. Uh, you can go through pretty quickly if you want to, maybe within a couple hours, or you can spend, like we did, eight hours in there, I believe. Now, included in that was lunch. And no, the lunch did not last us six hours out of the eight. But uh, it was a good restaurant in there. But we, we spent about eight hours. Now, part of that was I really wanted to see all of it. I wanted to take a lot of pictures, and uh, that's what, what I'm sharing with you to a large extent in this study. And when you look at, when you look at that picture of the ark and, and you stand up next to it, it, it is enormous, absolutely enormous, and you can get a better idea of how everything could fit in there. And that's what I really want to talk about today. And why the, why the flood in Genesis day? Why did God say that he was ready to destroy mankind? Because mankind had sunk to such depths of depravity, of, of ungodliness, of immorality, of evil, that he was, that God said, I'm going to cleanse the earth of this. Now, again, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how evil humanity was at that time. We might point at some areas of the, of the world today and said that's the, the evil is going on over there. Or maybe we might say the leaders of that land are evil, but we're not talking about everybody within that country. But what we're talking about with the ark or, or in the, in the, in, with humanity, the known world at that time, in fact, all of the world that was inhabited in Noah's day is everybody was evil. When we 
look at Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil. Now, I get hard for us to imagine that. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, a creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So one man, one family of eight found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Think about that, one righteous person. Again, think of the city of Omaha very small scale compared to all of humanity in the days of Noah. But think of, of Omaha and think if you saw anybody on the street, you couldn't trust what they were saying. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't feel safe perhaps around them because everybody was evil except for one family. Now you can decide which family that would be, but I'm just using it by, by way of comparison. But everybody you saw was evil and only evil in their thoughts continually hard for us to imagine, but that was the state of, of mankind at that time. The devil had simply taken over to, to basically, he had taken over the mindset of humanity in the days of Noah. Evil had become the identity of mankind at that time. Now, God gave Noah very specific instructions as to how to design the ark. We talked about that. He told him first of what material to make it of, gopher wood. We still don't know for sure what gopher wood was at that time. Uh, we speculate as to what it might have been, but we don't know. But whatever it was, Noah knew, and there was sufficient gopher wood in the area that he could gather enough of it to design the various uh, aspects of the ark and build it out of that particular wood. Cover it inside and out with pitch. Of course, that would be to keep the water out uh, because it was going to rain, not only rain, but it was going to flood. And this was going to be a catastrophic flood. Somewhere along the line in this series, I want to talk about the principle of catastrophism because that is something that largely our geologists just, they ignore. To When you're talking about on a wide scale, catastrophism, how it can change the face of the earth. We'll talk about that later on in a study. Uh, I want to do a little more uh, research on that before I bring it to you because it, it gets kind of involved. But covered inside and out with pitch, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the arch shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits, it's height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and I believe that window would be all along the length of the deck of the ark and the uppest, uh, the farthest up level of, of the ark. You shall, you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And so, obviously, there is no mention of any kind of propulsion system of course, there was no engine. There were no engines at that time. But also, there's no sails mentioned, instructed. There were no oars that are instructed. There's no rudder. And the ark was not designed to go anywhere, as I've emphasized. It was designed simply to float on the surface of the water and thereby save the, in, the inhabitants within the ark from the flood. It, again, 
it, it was not designed to go anywhere, just preserve life from within. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Now, understand again, it wasn't the idea that, that God told Noah put in an order with the, uh, with the uh, uh, nearby shipbuilding company and have them build this ark and it should be ready within a year or two. Now, this took over a hundred years, and Peter's bringing out that that hundred years, God was giving mankind still more of an opportunity to repent of the evil, but mankind did not. And so when once the long-suffering of, of, of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection from Jesus Christ. And so Peter makes the comparison that by means of the ark, the waters lifted that ark up and they were saved from that flood. And Peter talks about... Uh, in that way, the waters saved them. They weren't buried in the water, but they lifted up the ark and they were saved uh, from that water, or we might say through that water. And so Peter makes the comparison. He says, in like figure, by comparison, in a similar way, we're saved as we're baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins. Now, the waters lifted the ark, perf the perfectly designed ark to the, to the surface, saving the physical lives within. And then also Peter made that comparison that it is through the waters of baptism that a person is saved spiritually. And we noted that the ratio that God instructed Noah to use in the building of the ark the 300 cubits feet long by 50 cubits feet wide and 30 cubits feet high, that ratio of 300 to 50 to 30, we didn't learn this for hundreds, thousands of years later, but we came to find out uh, as people became more skilled in building large floating vessels that these dimensions are the perfect ratio for a huge uh, ship built for seaworthiness and not for speed. So how did Noah know how to do this? God told him. He gave him exact instructions. God designed the universe in all of its perfection, and he obviously knows how to design a ship also. There's a frontal view of the ship, just giving you an idea of the enormity of it again. And it was, it was until 1858, the largest ship ever built. Again, thousands of years before we came to that point where mankind on his own built a, a seaworthy vessel uh, that large. So just incredible. Now, here's the big question that I want us to address this evening. How could, the, how could Noah fit all the animals on the ark? Or we really need to ask the more profound question, more fundamental and basic, how could God get all of those animals into the ark that he told Noah by design to build. So God was not just looking to save the lives of Noah and his family, but he was looking to save the lives of the land roaming and, and, and land living animals. Now there would be no need for 
Noah to be able to take fishes of the sea in or, or any of the sea creatures in because they could be sustained in the waters of the flood themselves. But all of the animals that lived on the face of the earth, now that would include the birds of the air because they live in the face of the earth and all the trees and all the mountains and everything of, of the earth at that time would be covered in water. Now, we might talk about later how the earth, the surface of the earth, may not have been and, and probably was not as mountainous as we understand, as we see it today, as we experience today. And that could have been one of the ways that God drained the waters off the surface of the earth into the seas and into the rivers and the lakes and so on, uh, that he raised mountains up to drain that water. That's a possibility. But uh, it, the, 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 the geology of the earth may not have been as mountainous back then as it was and probably we might make a case that probably was not at that time as mountainous as we see it today. Now I love the mountains but we might have had you know a much lower kind of elevation of what we would call mountains back then uh, as compared to what we see today. Now but how could Noah get get all those animals on the ark? How could they all fit on that ark? And it's enormous, as I said, but how did they all fit? Well, we normally think of species when we think of all the different kinds of animals that exist in the face of the earth. But the word species is not what's used in the scriptures. It's the word kinds. Now, when we look at... Um, we look at Genesis chapter 6, and let me look here, pick this out. I should have done this ahead of time. I apologize. Okay, if you drop down to verse 18 of Genesis chapter 6, but I will, God is speaking to Doah. He says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind of animals, after their kind, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, of the birds, after their kind, of animals, after their kind, and of every creeping thing, that, uh, thing of the earth, after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Now, in chapter 7, God then, if you look beginning with verse 1, then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. The ark's finished by this time. You and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation, you shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. Now, there's the word species. I'm not sure that that's an accurate translation from the original Hebrew, but you notice how often the word kind is used there. And so which animals did, you know, were brought in? And, and if you look at the Hebrew language there, it doesn't say necessarily seven pairs or even two pairs, but two and two or, or it's, anyway. The division is between the clean animals and the, and the unclean animals. 
And the unclean animals notice only two of each, but the clean animals, those would be necessary for food and such for mankind because God would give the animals to the mankind for food. And if you go back to Genesis chapters one and two, it, it appears that, it, it, that when God first created man, they only ate, they only ate the grains of the field. They only ate vegeta- vegetables and not meat. But now there's going to be meat eaten. And so the clean animals are going to have to provide that food. And so there would need to be more of them. Also, Noah, after the flood and after the waters have receded sufficiently, he and his family come out and Noah begins to worship God. Well, he and his family begin to worship God and offer sacrifices, animal sacrifices to God. And that would be necessary to be done with clean animals, not unclean. Worshiping God is not something that we should do just out of make out of our convenience, saying, well, whatever is convenient for me in worshiping God, that's what I'll do or that's what I'll use. And when animal sacrifices were instructed in Old Testament times, there was always specific instructions from God as to what to offer, what kind of animal. The farmer, for instance, or the person who is going to buy an animal from a farmer to offer as a sacrifice to God in worship to God, he, he, he couldn't buy a crippled animal. He couldn't buy the runt of the litter, so to speak. He couldn't buy one that was, that was spotted in, in some way that, that took away its purity. He had to buy and he had to, had to be offered the best of the animals, the clean animals, and also those who were healthy. And so uh, those animals, those clean animals that were brought into the ark by Noah, actually sent in by God, they would be those used to, not, not all of them obviously, but they would, it would be from that number that Noah and his family would offer sacrifices to God after the flood waters had receded and all of the flood was, was finished. Now, so which animals were brought into the ark? Well, if we look at how we understand species, then we might say, I'm not sure, how could they all fit in there? Okay, but, but understand that word kinds used in the Hebrew language there. And so we need to understand we're not talking about every, every breed of dog had to be brought into the ark. German shepherds, golden retrievers, uh, poodles, cockapoos, chihuahuas, all of that. All, all we need is dogs because dogs can interbreed with one another. We see that a lot of times. We say, ooh, that's a half-breed over there, you know, or that's a mongrel dog over there because we can see it's, it's a mixed breed. And, and so they don't, need, they don't need all the different breeds. They just need the kind, the dogs. Also understand that dogs can also interbreed with other canines in the canine family, such as coyotes or even wolves. And so you don't need, you don't need necessarily, you know, the breed of the wolf, the breed of the coyote, or a dingo dog in Australia. You just need dogs. So you see that cuts the number way down. The same thing can be said about cattle. You don't need a, you don't need a, 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 Jersey, a, a Jersey cow, you know, 
that has to be represented along with, uh, and you know the better breeds, well, black Angus, say. You just need cows, and cows can interbreed with one another. Horses and donkeys can interbreed. Now, they produce a hybrid called a mule when they do that, but horses and donkeys can interbreed. And so you don't need every different breed of every animal. You just need the kinds. And so those who have put, who have built the ark and they have tried to calculate all of this into their understanding or out so that we can understand how could everything fit? How could all the animals fit into the ark along with Noah and his family, plus all of the supplies? And in an earlier section of this study, we showed how the supplies can fit in there. Now, one thing we might say is, 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 is well, what about water? Wouldn't they run out of water? And all that time, it's raining outside, right? They can gather water from the rain. And there can be a, a, a kind of an irrigation system, if you want to think of it that way, where they can just gather the water. It can come down a, you know, a, a, a spout or whatever into the ark and be captured and stored in, in large cisterns. So all of that is reasonable. Now, as they calculated, they tried, they tried to take a worst case scenario and say, okay, we don't want anybody to say that we're cheating here in our calculations. So they tried to take the worst case scenario and they said, the numbers that are listed in Genesis chapter seven, seven, they said, okay, we're gonna take that as seven pairs. And the two in Genesis chapter six of the unclean animals, we're gonna take that as two, as, as, as male and female, and, and maybe I think they even said, we're gonna take it as two pairs. But what they tried to do is take the largest number based on, uh, of animals that needed to be in the ark based upon the numbers that we read in, in the Genesis account. And so they, they calculated when you took the worst case scenario, the most that you could figure along that line, they, they said, you know, the ark needed to house the ancestors of fewer than 34,000 land dependent species. Okay, so you say 34,000, that's still a lot, isn't it? Um, how many people were in the, the uh, Twin Towers when they, when they were destroyed? You know, that, that's amazing to me how many people can end up being in one building. But, but here's something we need to understand too. We're not talking about the necessity to have every animal represented as being a full-grown adult animal. Doesn't have to be. You can be talking about babies. You can be talking about small, small you know, in, in, before they grow up completely. Now also, understand that a whole lot of the animals that we think about that are alive, roaming upon the earth today, are very small, very small. Chipmunk's a pretty small critter, isn't it? Squirrel, rabbit, so they don't take up much space. And as we noted, when we looked at the different compartments of supplies, food supplies and such, for the people and the animals living in the ark, we saw how, how that fit in very well. You don't need very large cages for a whole lot of the animals because they're small animals to begin with. And you don't need full grown adult animals to be brought into the ark. You just need the representatives. They can be small. They can be new in their, 
in their lives as animals within that particular kind. So you don't need a full-grown dog that might weigh, say, a German shepherd that might weigh 120 pounds. Uh, you could have a puppy, and that's, that's fine. That's, that fits the bill, and that fills the, the, the instruction that God gave to Noah. So I'm not gonna, obviously you can't look at all this. They have actually listed you know, the different kinds in there, the different varieties of animals. And, and you know, even, even if I pulled it up on a computer in front of me, I would have some difficulty reading all of that. But I'm just trying to get, help you see how detailed they were in their analysis and their calculations. Now, how did, how did they determine the number of the animal kinds? Well, again, as I pointed out, they tried to take the worst case scenario and say, okay, we're not going to try to skimp on this. We don't want anybody pointing fingers and, and naysayers and scoffers and saying, yeah, you didn't, you didn't count anybody. You took, the, you took the, the lowest possible number that you could figure. No, they took the highest possible number that they could figure and they could reason through. And then the seven of the 14, you know, uh, is it seven of the clean animals or is it seven plus seven, two pairs? They, they, they chose 14, that's how they counted it. So they didn't say just seven of the clean animals, they said, no, we're gonna take, because of the wording in the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's difficult for us to really translate and understand fully just exactly how that was to be taken. Was it seven and seven or was it a total of seven? And so they said, we'll count it will count seven pairs. So they took the full 14. So they calculated on the basis of the greatest number that you could see represented in the Genesis account. And that's how they, that's how they figured it. Now, that's where I'm going to stop right here. Now, later, because our time is just about up, but, but later, again, I want to go into some of the, some of the kinds of animals that we might look at and, and some people are skeptical about, um, you know, such as dinosaurs. Were dinosaurs on the ark? I don't think there's any question dinosaurs were on the ark. Did you have a full-grown, you know, whatever that largest dinosaur was supposed to be? And, and, and again, we might be off in our figuring as to how large some of the dinosaurs were no again you just needed a baby that's all and and they had they had some dinosaurs represented in cages small dinosaurs but a whole lot of the dinosaurs that that we have found uh, fossils for and everything were small critters themselves and so you didn't you didn't have whatever was roaming the earth at that time was on the ark in a representative way and there's no need for us to say, well, I don't believe in dinosaurs because, because why? We've got all the fossils there. I mean, there, there's obviously there were dinosaurs in the face of the earth. Now, were they billions of years ago? No, they were contemporary with mankind. They lived in the same time as man lived upon the earth. When God created the animals, when God created man, they lived together on the earth. And we're talking about thousands of years, not millions and billions and eons of years. Now, we might look at one section that says, well, what happened to them? Um, 
I think we can say the same thing that's happened to a whole lot of species of animals. They've gone extinct. But we'll talk about that perhaps in a little bit more detail in a, in a further section of this. But I wanted you to see that, again, all of the kinds of animals that were in existence at that time, and some of those are not in existence today. We're not talking about just dinosaurs. We're talking about all kinds of different animals are not in existence today. They've gone extinct. And I guess we could say that's part of the process of nature. But all of those that were alive on the earth and roamed the earth at that time, they were represented by the kinds that were in the ark. And so there's no reason for us to listen to some skeptic who probably has not studied very deeply at all, but he's read an article somewhere perhaps, or he's heard someone, you know, be skeptical. Well, how could they all fit in the ark? I, there just wasn't big enough. You know, I mean, no. a whole lot of people who criticize the Bible really don't know the Bible. They read some articles here and there. They hear some people criticize the Bible and they take that as quote unquote gospel. And uh, in other words, they consider that to be true, but they don't do the research themselves. Well, this is helping us do the research so that we can have full confidence and thereby strong faith in everything that the Bible tells us. When we look at archeology, span the archeological digs have repeatedly, time after time after time after time, verified minute details of history that are brought out in the, in the scriptures that we did not know from our, our uh, contemporary historical accounts until we dug up those digs and we found, wow, that's exactly what the Bible said. That person lived at that time. He was a king or he was a governor in that place and that city was named by that, by that name. And there have been, again, just time after time after time, the archeological digs have proven the Bible to be absolutely accurate in its details. If the writers of the scriptures were frauds, they would not have been so detailed in so many of the details that they specified, giving specific names of individuals in specific positions of authority in specific places. And again, historically, we did not know a whole lot of that to be accurate just from a contemporary historical account until the archeologists one after another kept digging up cities, towns, villages, coming up with, with documents and saying, yeah, just what the Bible said, that's what this says. And we can have confidence in the Genesis flood. Okay, if you're here this evening and you need to be stronger in your faith, we hope this is helping. And if you know people who need to grow in their faith, if there are skeptics in your life, help them to see the reasonableness of what the scriptures teach on this subject. And if we can understand that what the scriptures teach on this subject is reasonable, then we can understand that all of what the scriptures teach on every subject is reasonable. 
A lot of people would say, worldwide flood now can't happen. Well, again, I want us to look at the principle of catastrophism versus what geologists commonly hold to as the principle of uniformitarianism. And uniformitarianism discounts catastrophism on a massive scale. But when you bring that in, it changes the whole uniform uh, kind of nature of how the crusts of the earth and the strata and all of that uh, are developed. But again, that's for a different study. We might even do a couple of sections on that. But see, if you have a mindset that is already prejudiced against the scriptures, well, then you're going to find ways to just blow them off, whatever they say. But when you look at the evidence and documented, calculated, brought out and confirmed, yes, all of this would work. The ark was big enough. It had enough space for the family. It had enough space for the food. It had enough space for the animals. It had enough space for the food for the animals. It, 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 it was built to virtually the exact uh, ratio of dimension that kept that ark seaworthy and basically, as I understand it, almost incapable of being capsized, no matter what the waters, the waves would do. And when we're talking about the kind of flood that God brought upon the earth, we're not talking about gently rising water. We're talking about, we're talking about violent storm. We're talking about violent waves, tsunamis, tidal waves, whatever you want to call them, sweeping across the face of the earth, which was covered with water at that time, one after another after another, almost undoubtedly. You see the, the catastrophic effect of it in that we have found, we have found, I believe, mammoths in a cave, found the bones, skeletons of mammoths in a cave with food still in their mouth. And that's how quickly and catastrophically, you know, they were taken. But that's not something that's only, that has only happened in the flood. When we saw the, um, when, when we go back and we've done the archaeological digs after uh, Mount, uh, in Italy, Mount, Mount Vesuvius, when it erupted thousands of years ago, we found the mummified remains of people who were such as in a sitting position, you know, because it was so quick, so fast, so catastrophic. Well, we need to understand that's what happened with the flood in Genesis. If you need to become a Christian this evening, if you need to study about that, we're here to study with you. If you'll ask us, we want to help you with that. And if you're ready to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, as Peter brought out, as we read earlier, then we're here to help you with that. If you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, we're here to help you with that. If you'll step forward or talk with us privately and let us know. Let's be people of strong faith. Let us never cower or shrink away from someone who might challenge our belief in the reliability, absolute truthfulness of God's word from beginning to end. If you need to come, our invitation song is number, pardon me, 920. And let us stand as we sing.